Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jordan. Had a quick trip to Chicago over the weekend. I got to go spend some time at Judson University for their Founders Day celebration and and share God's word with them. And the president of Judson University is is Gene Croom, Dr. Gene Croom. And his father-in-law is Billy Ray Smith, who is the chairman of our deacons here at First Baptist Church. But Gene and his wonderful wife, Cindy, have become dear friends of mine. And so I got to go out and celebrate the 60th anniversary of the university in just outside of Chicago that, that is named for Adoniram Judson, that great Baptist missionary who went to Burma and translated the Bible into Burmese and um, just has done amazing things. So had a good weekend, but um, continuing to pray for Israel. In fact, I'm wearing. I don't. I'm not a big jewelry guy. I like to wear a couple of rings, but you know, one one a wedding band. But I'm wearing um, something I picked up in Israel. It's a Jerusalem cross, and uh, just as a reminder, every time I feel this thing, because I'm not accustomed to wearing it, but it's a great reminder to pray for Israel and to pray for um, what is happening in that part of the world that is dear to our hearts, as you and I are talking, um, but certainly dear to God's heart as well. So, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, continuing to pray for Israel. You know, it's 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 a really interesting experience being working with a company that's based out of Jerusalem. Uh, it has to be. Yeah, um, you know, because I have coworkers in Jerusalem and you know in the south of Israel, which is you know still you know in danger. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're we're starting to crank out a lot more timely content on that, and so it's. You know, I'm not a war correspondent by any means, and I'm not writing anything. But it just being kind of the um, the bottleneck where content goes through me, you know, to the website, you know, on a constant flow about the about the war. It's right. it's interesting being, you know, more. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Like on my feet with you know like hot hot news coming in you know and yeah getting and it you're getting what what sociologists would call the emic perspective the emic perspective when you're studying a people group. You know, and sociologically, is the the insider perspective, hmm. and so you are getting the insider perspective of things that are happening that uh, national news is reporting on, international news rather is reporting on, um, but you're seeing what is happening in the hearts and minds of people who are on the ground. And uh, I was reading an article this morning that uh, there's there's more conflict arising, certainly in Lebanon with Hezbollah, and uh, the prime minister is saying, you know. Look, Hezbollah, if you really want to make the biggest mistake of your life, just just do your thing. Um, but then, also in the West Bank, and of course in Gaza, and all those sorts of things, there's just there's a lot going on. And so, um, as Scripture commands, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem uh, always, but still today, and um, for the people whose whose lives are being so deeply impacted. Um, it, it's just stomach turning, really. But um, very thankful for what you do and for the content that you pass on through First Fruits of Zion. And uh, I got to read an article that I'm assuming you posted on that Facebook page this morning that was very insightful. But um, 
Appreciate what you do. And and as we're talking about this, you've designed a prayer service that we're going to have this Wednesday night, which uh, this episode is, is being released on Wednesday. So as you're listening to this, if it is Wednesday, October the 25th, that's tonight. And we would love to invite you to First Baptist Church at 6 p.m. tonight uh, to our social center, which as you come in, that's where everybody will be going. Um, and we're going to, we're going to spend some time praying for Israel. So tell us a little bit about that, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Jewish people, you know, pray out of the Psalms because the Psalms is, you know, the Jewish prayer book, really, you know, that's, you know, a very, 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 very old Jewish prayer book. Yeah. Um, you know, so they select, you know, there are different selections, but, you know, we're going to just pick several of the, um, Psalms praying for Israel specifically, um, and, you know, and some other things too, like I, I want to draw from the, the prayer that Zechariah, uh, prays, you know, prophesying about the future of, uh, you know, Israel's redemption through the Messiah. Right. Um, so there's, you know, different passages that like that, that I've arranged where it, it, it will be nice, a little bit, it will be, um, call and response to, sure. um, you know, reading a verse and then, you know, the, the congregation reading another verse. So we will be speaking the scripture together, which I'm a really big fan of. I like the idea oh, yeah. of, um, you know, corporate uh, liturgical expression of the body. So, well, and as you hear the word, the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, when we hear the word, um, you know, I can tell you, um, David Tooley, our dear executive pastor and a longtime friend of mine, was preaching a funeral um, for a family member of his that I was in attendance. Uh, I was attending the service, and and. He just he read several passages of scripture, and I was just so moved as a congregation member, hearing God's word and being reminded of those great promises. And um, so that will be a wonderful experience for all of us. And uh, and I believe God will not only hear our prayers but stir our hearts. And uh, again, you're invited tonight, six p.m. in the social center at First Baptist Church. There is a meal. Uh, beforehand, uh, a small cost offsetting charge for that, but you're welcome to come at five uh, or any time before six and uh, partake of that meal. But six p.m. is when we will begin. Amen. So yeah, and this week's sermon is really timely because it's talking about a woman who's attaching herself to you know the Messiah of Israel. Um, so this week we talk about the the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman. So the passage is Matthew fifteen twenty one through twenty eight, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David! My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, "Send her away, for she is crying out after us." He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly." So Jeff, on Sunday, you said that this is a weird story, and I, I, I really want to get into it and unpack some of the weird elements of it. So if you were reading the Gospels for the first time, you would not expect that response from Jesus. No. Uh, yeah. Him saying he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That 
uh, comes across as kind of cold. Um, and, and it, you know, it might not make sense if you, you know, don't know what he's saying or what he's referencing. So let, let's just make it very uh, straightforward from the get-go. Who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and why was Jesus specifically sent to them? Well, I think in this context, and, and, and some of the scholars that I read over the course of preparing for this message would say the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel are Israel in this context. It's mm-hmm. it's the whole nation of Israel. Jesus has been sent as the, the the redeemer of Israel. He is the Messiah. And if you go and read the Old Testament, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, with the fall, there is the promise of redemption. And it centers around a people um, who are called Israel, chosen in Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, God says to Abraham, I will, Abram at the time, uh, I will make you a great nation, and uh, I will bless you, and I will bless him who blesses you and curse him who curses you. And through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And we have seen that. Uh, we have seen how all the nations of the earth have been blessed and are blessed by uh, the people of Israel. But chief, uh, chiefly, we are blessed through the giving of Israel's Messiah. As Jesus would say to the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Uh, and how is that? Well, Jesus is the Messiah and the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes. And so he comes not simply to be a messenger of the law. He comes to fulfill the law. He comes not only to be our priest who is the one mediator between God and man. He is the the, the sacrifice himself who once for all uh, dies on the cross as our perfect lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and he is the way to God for anyone. And he's the only way to God for anyone. And so he came, the Bible says, to his own. And in John chapter 1, we learn he came to his own, yet and his own did not receive him. Yet to as many as did receive him, John would write as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Children who are born not by a husband's will or uh, uh, essentially the the will of the flesh, um, but born of God. And so Jesus was sent first to Israel. And when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. So Jesus' ministry was first to the people of Abraham, Abraham's children through the lineage uh, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes, and 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 all of these people that that God had chosen, and um, and so yeah, that was the scope of Jesus's ministry. And when he sent out the disciples, when he sent out those whom he named apostles first, this is around Matthew chapter ten, um, he said, "Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the house of Israel." That is your job. That is your call. Now, we see as the New Testament opens um, that the gospel goes also to the Gentiles. So, so Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for there is power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Um, but what you're seeing here is Jesus going into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And I'll address you and I are, are pronouncing Sidon different, Sidon, uh, yeah. Sidon. 
It's the same that you go over there. I, I call Mount Carmel Mount Carmel here, but when I'm in Israel, it's Mount Carmel mm. because that's the right way to say it. Sidon is the right way to say it. Okay, I'm I am anglicizing <laughs> Sidon. All right, uh, I'm, I'm making it South Central Kentucky yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, same word, just just two different ways of saying it. But um, when Jesus goes into these regions, the, these regions are now, these are two cities that are now in Lebanon. So they're northwest of the Sea of Galilee, but he's finished his Galilean ministry, and now he is going intentionally to the region of the Gentiles. And obviously, Jesus knows what he's doing. He's not just bopping around, well, I'll try a different place, you know. Um he just as he had an appointment with the woman of Samaria in John chapter four, so does he have an appointment with the Syrophoenician woman in Mark, Matthew chapter fifteen. So, um, yeah, it's 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 an amazing thing that God sent His Messiah to the people of Israel, but then to open the way, as as Simeon said in the temple, as a light for the Gentiles. And so praise God um, that salvation has come to us through the Jews, and it has come through the Jewish Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. So now we'll talk about the the Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman herself. So it's interesting, and you, you kind of alluded to this, she calls him the son of David, which is a very specific you know, Jewish name for the Messiah. You know, It doesn't seem like she's just, you know, be bopping around, and it's like, oh, this man can heal your your daughter, and he, she's like, hey, heal my daughter. Yeah, she's saying, hey, son of David, i.e., Messiah, i.e., you know, the King of Israel, who's expected to be a great healer. Right, please heal my daughter. Yeah, um, you know, and then she references, and this I could be wrong on this, but she references, um, you know, dogs eating crumbs uh, from the table, which makes me think of you know the the messianic banquet. So like, mm-hmm. you know, the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that uh, Jesus talks about earlier in Matthew. Um, do, do we? I know we don't really know a whole lot about the woman, but w- what's really going on there? She's Syrophoenician, Canaanite. Um, is there kind of more to her story than just just being a Gentile who's in need? Well, I think there has to be, and and, and we're we're having to dip our toes now into inference. Mm-hmm. We are inferring from the fact that she is she is speaking with some degree of knowledge about the identity of Jesus, but but even beyond that about the identity of the Jewish Messiah. And so, again, I, I looked, I wanted to see in studying this passage, because, I, again, this passage is still weird to me. Yeah, I wanted to see, okay, when she calls him Lord, is that a reference to Yahweh? Is that a reference to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And, and, and most conservative scholars would say, no, it just seems like she's just being respectful here. Uh, kind of like Saul, when he was knocked down by the blinding light, this theophany where he sees Jesus— uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't know who it is, but he says, who are you, Lord? You know, same sort of thing, not equating uh, Jesus in that moment with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rather just, wow, you, you, you know, you, the, a term of respect, a term of, of humility in, in addressing this individual. But then she goes straight to son of David, which is remarkably specific. I mean, we are talking about, you know, So many messianic prophecies. Um, Going back to the promise to David, the Davidic covenant, (laughs) there will be one to sit on your throne forever and ever and ever. Amen. And uh, 
she knows something. So you you said you have a coworker who has a theory about this. So tell us about that. Yeah. So my coworker, Aaron Eby, is a bit of a linguist and he is really knowledgeable about Jewish sources. His suggestion is that the term Canaanite is actually a reference to the kind of servant this woman is. So she's called a Syrophoenician woman in Mark, but then Matthew calls her a Canaanite. So there's two different kinds of servants that a Jewish person could have in the ancient world. There's uh, a Jewish servant um, who really is very specific in what they are allowed to do. Um, So a Jewish master with a Jewish servant could not make them do hard labor. There's a lot of things they could not ask them to do. And then the person had to be let go after a couple of years. Um, But then a Gentile servant, there are not as many restrictions. There are restrictions that, you know, the word could be translated slave, but don't be thinking of slavery like today or in the last couple hundred years. It's not that uh, level of, you know, horror and uh, ferociousness that could be placed upon this person. Like, uh, Gentile servants of Jewish people at this time were in pretty good place. And and actually, a lot of them would go on to convert to Judaism because they had this high level of, they had to observe the Sabbath. They had to do, you know, several things like that that put them on this higher level, higher plane um, than regular Gentiles. So yeah. the suggestion is that she is this kind of servant. She is a quote unquote Canaanite servant, which is a technical definition, not her actual ethnicity. So she would be a Gentile who somehow has become a servant of a Jewish person who starts to learn a little bit about the Torah, who you know is familiar with this concept of a, of a son of David. And then because of that, because she's in the Jewish community, she hears that this Jewish healer is somewhere you know in the vicinity. She goes and finds him and is like, "Hey, son of David, you know we're you know I'm a Gentile, but I'm you know picking up crumbs from the table of the Messianic yeah. banquet in the future. You know, can you heal my daughter?" Um, it's a suggestion, but it's the best thing in my mind that I've ever heard explaining why she's able to say all that she says. Again, just to, to highlight, that's that is that's not necessarily drawn out of scripture. Correct. But Correct. that's how you do good theology where there where where there are questions, you know, those are some good hypotheses based on biblical criteria, so to speak. So um that's that's very interesting. So she's Potentially, well, I would say certainly she is around the teaching of Judaism to the degree that she's familiar enough to know a pretty specific teaching. You yeah. know, it's not just, oh, they shut down on Friday night. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. That's not it. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty specific teaching that she is embracing here. And for her to, to be a Syrophoenician by birth, meaning that she is not a Jewish transplant. She was born in Phoenicia. She, you know, is from this region. She is not a member of the household of God. And yet, she has this this knowledge and this willingness to ascribe worth and worship and to seek the help of the Jewish Messiah is a pretty big deal. Again, I mentioned in the sermon the the temple of Eshmoon that was very close nearby, and mm-hmm. so you know there were there were plenty of pagan deities that that she could have consulted, she could have gone to. Um, you know, I think about E. Y. Mullins. E. Y. Mullins was the fourth president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he was actually a supply preacher here at First Baptist Church 
back in 1915. So EY Mullins is is a giant figure within Southern Baptist history. So uh, we we once had EY Mullins and AT Robertson and Clyde Francisco preaching here and now you got Jeff Reynolds. Oh how the mighty have fallen. So bless your hearts <laughs> but but nevertheless um, EY Mullins said one time, you know, you called a Buddha and he doesn't come. You called a Muhammad and he doesn't come. But you called a Jesus and he comes. Mm-hmm. And this passage puts me in mind of that. You know, there's no reason to believe that she didn't at some point seek to to, to enlist the help of Eshmoon, whose sure. Greek equivalent would be Asclepius, who is the healing god, you know. And and you find out Eshmoon doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, he doesn't come. You call to Eshmoon, he doesn't come. But you call to Jesus, and he comes. Mm-hmm. So... Man, what a what a what a rich story of a woman who expressed faith that that caused Jesus himself to say, "Oh woman, great is your faith." And it's just a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we you were talking about it on Sunday and said that it's a lesson for uh the woman herself who, you know, persisted in her faith and then it's a lesson for us in, you know, her faith and how to be persistent. And as you were talking about it, I was thinking, you know, it's also seems like it's a lesson for the disciples who are there like, just send this woman away. But it's, you know, know, that's right. We didn't even talk about them yeah, yeah, because they were like, would you please Lord? I mean, it it makes me think of (laughs) the sons of thunder. Uh, (laughs) Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? You know, boys calm down, you know, and here they are again. Do you just, Get rid of this woman. You know, how quickly do we humans discard other human beings? And and frankly, the disciples are looking to discard this woman. You know, yes, yeah, she's got a problem, but get rid of her. We we have important things to do. Why are we wasting time with her? And that's not the heart of Jesus at all. Amen. So let's make this practical with today's practical application question. So how do we know if obstacles in life are tests from God that we should endure or if they're signs from him that we do need to change course? That is such a great question, and the answer is a little bit more subjective than I think what any of us would want. There is some objectivity to it in the way I approach it, at least, and the first is this, and I mentioned this yesterday. The first thing we want to do is ask, am I in sin? Mm. You know, Is there some sort of thought pattern that is sinful? Is there some sort of thing that I'm believing about God that is sinful? Am I am I listening to the enemy who's seeking to distort my view of God? You know, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and what did Satan say to the woman? Did God really say, well, God didn't really mean that, and you can't trust God anyway? So I'm, I'm in the Word, I'm reading the Word, and when I start to feel that's that temptation, you know, well, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Well, God's character is questionable anyway. I know that's that's from Satan, so that's immediate. But I want to examine myself and say, okay, am I am I into sin here? You know, I mentioned to Vespers last night that there, there are ways that we can hinder our own prayers. Um, one is harboring unforgiveness. You know, the Bible says, and, and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, um, 
if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So the idea here is Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant who was forgiven a great debt and would not forgive a much lesser debt from one of his debtors. And so, you know, how can you understand God, how can you embrace a godly way of living if you're unwilling to forgive when you've been forgiven so much? You know, another way that, that the Bible says that we can hinder our own prayers is, is in James chapter 4, verse 3. You know, in, in the end of chapter or verse 2, James has said, You don't have because you don't ask. So the idea here is take your request to God. But then he says in verse 3, You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So Am I approaching God with a desire that is is not the way I think about it to invest it in what he's passionate about, to build his kingdom for to magnify his glory and to help people, or am I just trying to, you know, whatever, live in opulence or or spend it on my passions, as James would say. So that can be a way that I can hinder my prayers. And then honestly, in First Peter chapter three, verse seven, um, Specifically for husbands, God says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So if you are a husband, and Jordan, you and I are both husbands, Elliot, you're a husband, um, this is a specific way that God says we can hinder our prayers if we are not being understanding and showing honor to our wives then we are hindering our prayers. So, so I think the first step is I'm going to ask, am I in sin? And is there a way that I am somehow hindering my prayers? But then beyond that, I think it's just seeking God's wisdom through his word and by his spirit. You know, God says through James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And so you know, if we're talking about a major life move, you know, when I came to First Baptist Church, I was in conversation with four different churches at the time. You know, I've never really shared that detail, but but there were, you know, the church where I was currently serving um, wanted me to stay, um, but there were two other churches as well that were seeking for me to come and, and serve as pastor there, and so in addition to First Baptist Church of Bowling Green. And so I did the things, you know, I made the lists. I've still got the, you know, compare and contrast mm-hmm. and the pluses and the, you know, all those sorts of things. But really it just came down to praying, um, honestly, fasting. For me, fasting is, a, is an endeavor that often comes in very handy because it brings clarity. Mm-hmm. So what do you do when you fast? Well, you give up something most typically food, um, but it can be anything else. You fast to devote that time and energy to prayer. And just what are you doing when you're fasting? Well, you're illustrating to God your earnestness about your prayer request. Like, Lord, this matters enough to me that I'm willing to not eat and to pray instead of eating because this is very important to me. So I'm illustrating to God my earnestness, but but I'm seeking God's wisdom. There, there can be a feeling of release from a situation. So like I felt released from my responsibilities at the church I was serving previously. I felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, was, you know, um, and I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> over the years, I've been here nearly eight years now. I've, I've had several job offers along the way. Um, and I have never 
felt like the Lord was releasing me from First Baptist Church or calling me to a different place. Mm -hmm. And um, could the day come? Sure. I mean, God can compel us to do anything anytime. But um, but I still don't feel any sort of release from this calling at First Baptist Church. And so I'm I'm here. And, and glad to be here. And unless they run me off, I'm going to be here, you know, Lord willing. But um, so, the, again, it comes down to there are objective things that we can do. Make sure I'm in the Word. Make sure I'm not in sin. Um, make sure I'm praying. But then on a more subjective level, there are things that you can't open your Bible and say, all right, Jordan, the time has come for you to step away from employment at First Baptist Church and work for First Fruits of Zion. I mean, you had to seek the Lord's will for your life. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that is we align ourselves with the moral will of God. In other words, get out of sin. And we surrender ourselves to the providential will of God, recognizing that God is God and we are not, and God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And if we are his servants, then he can command us to do whatever he wants whenever he wants, and it will be for our good and his glory. So those are kind of some practical things that I do. Um, I'm telling you, though, that foundation in the Word is so vitally important. It is so vitally important. The more that you are in the Word, the more you will recognize God's voice. Because when you are in the Word, you are hearing His voice. You are reading His words. And you will better be able to discern the voice of the enemy as well. So get in the Word, pray, seek God's face. If you have a big decision, I would recommend fasting. Um, but fasting according to the pattern of Matthew chapter 6, not, not letting the world know you're fasting. Let that between you, be between you and God. Um, that's the only one that matters that sees it. So um, anyway, those are some practical ways that I go at it. Those are very practical. Looking for sin in your life and fasting and reading the Bible, that you can't get much more practical than that. And listeners, if, if you have a question like the one that we talked about today, uh, anything about the uh, the Bible passage that you're looking at, or just something in your life you want to ask about, you can submit it through the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, who went from Galilee, not only into Judea and throughout that wonderful land, but went up into Tyre and Sidon and Gentile regions to reach people. We join with the Apostle Paul in saying that we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And as we, speaking specifically for ourselves, as Gentiles are beneficiaries of your goodness and grafting us into that great tree and making us members of the household of God. We simply say thank you, and we pray that you would help us to continue proclaiming the gospel with our lips and with our lives so that all people might come to Jesus and find eternal hope and salvation in him. Lord, we love you. We trust you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. 
Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.